0: This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Good evening. This is Brother Matthew again, and I am extremely excited about another opportunity to study our Father's Word with you this evening. I am elated. We finished the Feast of Tabernacles. It was wonderful. It was great. A lot of fellowship, a lot of fun, and a lot of good insight from brothers and sisters in the Messiah. So I'm so glad that we were able for another year to come together as a congregation here in Conyers, Georgia and to celebrate the Festival of Booths. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. If you've never read about it, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 36 and also verses 39 through 44. You can also read about it in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, which is where I'm going to be going for this lesson today. Now, I know that the Feast of Tabernacles is over with, but I would like to teach you a little bit more about the celebrations of Yahweh and go through Nehemiah chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. People tell me, Brother Matthew, you say that about a lot of chapters. Well, that's true, but it's because I have a lot of favorite chapters in the Bible. I've got a lot of chapters that I just really enjoy reading over and over again, and Nehemiah 8 is one of them. I just went over this with my children back on Yom Kippur And I'd like to go over it with you tonight. If you didn't get to hear last week's lesson at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, I talked about a lot of things in dealing with Yahweh's calendar. You can listen to that lesson on my website. It'll be sermon number 403 on the website. And so take a chance to listen to that. You'll hear the web address at the end of this broadcast. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. When the seventh month came, and all the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. Now let me stop right here and give a little background. We learned last week that when the Bible uses a term like month, here is specifically the seventh month. The word month is chodesh in Hebrew, and it means new moon. That is the special festival on the first day of a month or it can refer to the entirety of a lunar month, and this is because the months in the Bible were lunar. The year, the larger measurement of the year was solar, and to some degree also stellar by the stars, but the months were lunar in measurement, and so that's what this is referring to, is referring to a lunar month, and it talks about the Israelites settling in their towns and the people are gathered together here. And I believe they're actually gathered together on the seventh new moon. We see this. I would wait till we read ahead, but we see this in Nehemiah 8.13, which Nehemiah 8.13 talks about on the second day the family leaders of all the people come together. Second day of the moon. And so Nehemiah 8.1 is talking about the seventh new moon, which, mind you, is a annual not just a monthly holy day there are monthly holy days every month with the new moon it's a day of no buying and selling and it's a day of worship but on the seventh new moon it's a sabbath it's a day of no work or no servile work at least and it is a memorial of the creation or the foundation the laying of the foundation of the earth i talked about that a little bit last week and i've taught other sermons i believe you can find sermon 401 on my website goes in detail about Yom Teruah, or the seventh new moon. Getting back to our text, and I have a problem with getting on rabbit trails. I tell people it's okay to go down a rabbit trail as long as you don't eat the rabbit when you catch him. Because rabbit is unclean, let's say it's Yahweh in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy 14. So why are the people said to have settled in their towns? Well, we have to remember, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are in chronology written After the Babylonian captivity, when we read at the end of the book of the prophet Jeremiah, we see that many of the Israelites from the house of Judah were taken into Babylonian captivity. Daniel was one of them. Daniel actually lived the majority of his lifetime in Babylon. He was taken at probably a teenager And he actually lived in Babylon for the rest of his remaining days. He never came back to Jerusalem. But a lot of the Judahites, the Israelites from the house of Judah, did return to Jerusalem. Many of the individuals in the ten northern tribes of the house of Israel, they were scattered in the Assyrian nation, and they never came back to Jerusalem. Contrary to what some in theology and Christianity will say, the Bible in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah does not record that all of those from the ten northern tribe house of Israel came back to Jerusalem. There was no reuniting of the two houses at that time. The reuniting of the two houses is actually still awaiting to be fulfilled. Like when Ezekiel talks about the two sticks, the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim representing Judah and Israel, they will come back together. That is yet to await future final fulfillment in the Millennium Kingdom. So this, Nehemiah 8, is talking about how that many Judahites had returned from Babylonian captivity and under the leadership of men like Ezra, who was a Levite priest, he was from the line of Zadok, pure Levitical blood, Aaronic blood running through Ezra's veins. And then also we have Nehemiah, through the leadership of men like this, the city of Jerusalem and the wall around Jerusalem, began to be rebuilt. And not only did the city begin to be rebuilt, the pure worship, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the instructions, the Torah, was beginning to be reinstated in Yahweh's chosen city, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. And so that's why Nehemiah chapter 8 is talking about how that the Israelites had settled in their towns. And so There was restoration that was going on, and we're going to see that. Everything had not been restored. The appointed times of Yahweh in Fayikra, Leviticus chapter 23, they had not been yet fully restored. There was a restoration process that was happening. A revival was actually happening here in the land, the land of Israel. Verse 1 again. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that Yahweh had given Israel. Oh, that people were that apt and that ready to receive the law of Moses today. It's okay to call it the law of Moses. It's Yahweh's law that he gave through the mediation of prophet Moses. It's called the law of Moses over 20, possibly over 30 times in the Bible, even in the New Testament. Uh, You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to see where it's called that in the New Testament. Oh, that people had a heart to want a man of Yahweh to teach them the law of Yahweh today. Like these people. We see that these people ask Ezra, Ezra the Levite, bring us the book. The law of Moses that Yahweh had given to Israel. Bring it out. Teach us about it. Nehemiah 8 verse 2. On the first day of the seventh month. Here we go again. I didn't read this verse prior. I wanted to give you something here later on in the sermon. But not only does Nehemiah 8:13 refers refer us to the second day. Meaning the second day of the moon. But Nehemiah 8 verse 2 says on the first day of the seventh month. That is the new moon. That's the day that Leviticus 23, verse 24 calls Zikron Teruah. Numbers 29 calls it Yom Teruah. It's the day of joyful noise. It's the annual holy day. It's the new moon Sabbath in the seventh month. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. That's beautiful. Verse 3. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. I was teaching my children the other day about this, and a lot of times people squirm in their seats if they have a sermon go much longer than 20 minutes. And a lot of churches will have about 40 minutes of singing and 20 minutes of preaching, and that is wrong. That's wrong. It should be at least reversed, 20 minutes of singing and 40 minutes of preaching. The preaching, the teaching of the word of Yahweh is the most important part. Catch this now, brothers and sisters. The preaching and teaching of the word of Yahweh, the exposition of the text of Scripture, is the most important part of the sacred assembly the Holy Convocation, the Mikra Kodesh. The people are not being fed. The sheep are not getting food to eat if the word of Yahweh is not expounded upon. And I'm not talking about a little 10-minute sermonette or even a 20-minute sermonette. Sometimes I teach for 60 and 70, 80 minutes long. But it's because it's so important to be able to have expository teaching. Expository teaching means book by book. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I've been privileged to teach through a few books of the Bible. I'm actually in the process of teaching through the book of Luke right now in the New Testament. I've had the privilege and the honor and the grace of Yahweh to be able to teach through books like Ruth. I've taught through the book of Malachi. I've taught through the book of First Timothy. And I've taught about ten chapters through the book of Daniel. Such an honor and a privilege to do that. There is so much insight that comes through exposition. Because the books of the Bible were written as books. For instance, the book of Malachi was written as a cohesive prophecy or prophetic letter. And the best way to understand it is to read it verse by verse and interpret it verse by verse in context. The best way to do that is to teach through it verse by verse. And you'll be surprised at the insight that you come away with when you actually take the time to do that. Things that you would never glean from just taking a snippet here and a snippet there. You will glean from reading and teaching the book as a whole. If you're a minister of Yahweh, ordained by not the state, I don't believe in state-ordained ministry. The state does not have any right to ordain anything. And I've met some kooks who have a minister's license by the state. That doesn't mean anything with Yahweh. But if you're ordained by Almighty Yahweh as a minister of Yahweh, You need to be teaching the people of Yahweh, the Bible, verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. He promises that when the word goes forth, it does not return void. Preaching is not about teaching little quips, anecdotes, little stories here and there. It's okay to intersperse these things within a sermon, but preaching and teaching is exposition. Giving the people the word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And when Paul wrote that to Timothy, the New Testament canon had not even been formed. There was no New Testament scripture as a whole as we know it today. The only word that existed was the Old Testament. Paul was telling Timothy, preach the Old Testament and preach it whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's popular or whether it's not popular, you preach it. So minister of Yahweh, If you've not been doing that, repent today. Yahweh is kind. Psalm 86 verse 5 says he's kind, he's compassionate, he's ready to forgive. Oh, that's so beautiful. You repent and you begin to teach the people the word of Almighty Yahweh. Yahweh will bless you for it. So I was telling my children that Ezra read from the book of the law from daybreak until noon. Now, that's a long time. Whereas we get squirmy in our seats after 20 minutes of teaching sometimes because we're so used to hearing false prophets preach, these little sermonettes. Ezra reads out of the book of the law, and we'll see later he be, he was explaining it as he went. And he goes from daybreak to noon. And that's how we understand it, but biblical terminology would be sunrise until midday and midday would be when the sun was directly overhead and this is because in the bible the hours of the day were determined by the position of the sun in the sky the daylight period was the time that the sun ruled and the night period was the time that the sun did not rule that's how day and night were determined even the dusky periods like the twilight periods which the word twilight etymologically means mingled light the dusky period where the sun is close to the horizon but it's not ruling, those dusky periods are actually grouped in with the night. And the reason they are is because those periods are time periods where sometimes in a lunar month the moon is ruling. And even, oh, let's say five, ten minutes after sunset, even while it's still dusky or gray in the sky, you can begin to see the stars. They'll pop on one by one. So the time when the sun is ruling, that's the day. The time when the sun is not ruling, that's the night. And you can watch the sun as it goes into different positions in the sky. That's how the hours of the day are told in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, there were some Israelite men that got accused of being drunk on new wine. And Peter's response to the accusation was, These men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the... Third hour of the day. Some Bibles will say 9 a.m. That's how we understand it. But third hour of the day is not necessarily equivalent with 9 a.m. It's close. But it means that there was a particular position of the sun that the Israelites knew when it got to that position. That was the third hour or third period of that daylight portion of time. Peter didn't look at his wristwatch and say, hey, it's 9 a.m. No. He watched the position of the sun. And so Ezra, he read in the book of the Torah... From sunrise all the way up till the sun was directly overhead at midday. That's when midday is, middaylight portion. Quite a long time to be reading in the Torah and expounding upon the Torah, but these people were hungry. It came out of captivity. They were ready for restoration. Praise Yahweh for men like Ezra, who did expository teaching from the Torah. Praise Yahweh for men like Ezra. Nehemiah 8, verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. In the rest of verse 4, it mentions all the names of the people that stood beside him on either side of him. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book, that is the book of the law of Moses, in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great Elohim, the great mighty one, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. It is okay, brothers and sisters, it is okay for you to lift your hands in praise to Almighty Yahweh. Now, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and I don't agree with much of what goes on in the Pentecostal churches today. But one thing that I do agree with, and the reason I agree with it is because it's biblical, is the lifting up of the hands. All through the Psalms, the psalmist talks about lifting up your hands to Yahweh lifting up your hands even to the commandments of Yahweh. And here we see another example of this in the book of Nehemiah 8, where after Ezra opened up this book in front of all the people, the people lift up their hands in praise to Yahweh and also in surrender to Yahweh. And they say, so be it, so be it, or truly, truly, which is what the Hebrew word amen means. When you see the word amen, or like we say amen, More correctly, it's pronounced amen. Amen is just a transliteration of that Hebrew word. And the Greek uses the same thing. It means truly, truly. And so what the people were doing when they lifted up their hands is they were saying, this is true, this is true. The book of the Torah, the Torah of Yahweh is true. At the end of verse 6 says, then they bowed down and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. The majority of the time that the word worship is used? It means prostration. We tend to think worship sometimes is lifting hands. Lifting hands, though, would be more in line with praise and honor. Worship is when you bow down with your face to the ground. Now, you might say, well, that's the way that Islam does it. That's the way Islam does worship. Well, it's the biblical way. Whether Islam does it or not, and I don't believe in the religion of Islam, whether they do it or not, it is the biblical method. When you see worship, it is a bowing down with the face and the nose to the ground. What this signifies is humility. You're nothing, and Yahweh is everything. I think we need to do more worship. During your worship service, during the praise and worship service at your congregation, It is perfectly acceptable for you to to kneel down, get on your knees, even with your face to the ground, and bow down in honor to your heavenly Father. Now that might seem strange to a lot of people, but it is assuredly a biblical practice, most assuredly. Nehemiah 8 verse 7 mentions some more men that were Levites, and it says that they explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. What do you mean they explained the law? Well, they would read the law and then they would give them the explanation of the Torah. These people had been in captivity. They needed to know exactly what certain portions of the Torah actually meant. How were they to be obedient to these portions? Verse 8, they read the book of the law of the Mighty One, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Some people believe that this not only means exposition, which exposition is part of it, the explanation, but they also believe that once the Judahites came back from Babylon, that they were predominantly speaking a sister language to Hebrew, which was Aramaic. And so the priests would read it in Hebrew, but then they would translate it in Aramaic in order for the people to understand what the Torah was meaning. Verse 9. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to Yahweh your mighty one. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they'd not been keeping it. They'd been in captivity. But that day was holy. That day was actually a memorial of shoutings. Remember, it's the seventh new moon. It was a memorial of joyful noise. So he says, Don't weep. This day is holy. Verse 10, then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because your strength comes from rejoicing in Yahweh. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, since today is holy, do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. See, the priests, the Levites, explained the Torah about joyful noise. And so then they began not to grieve, but to rejoice, because they knew the explanation of the Torah. And if I don't hurry up, I'm not even going to get to the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 13. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. Oh, I would like it if people were more apt to do that today. Verse 14. They found written in the law how Yahweh had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. That's what we just got finished doing for seven days here at our congregation. They found it. They had not been doing it, but they found it, and they were excited to find Yahweh's feast days. They weren't celebrating Ishtar or Christmas or Valentine's or Halloween, all that. They were excited when they found Yahweh's holy days, the holy days that Yahweh gave by commandment in his Torah verse 15 so they proclaimed and spread this news throughout all their towns and in Jerusalem saying go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive wild olive myrtle palm and other leafy trees to make booths just as it is written now it is written in Leviticus 23 that you should make the sukkah out of these branches that's what they found written And so in verse 16 it says the people went out, brought back branches, and made booths for themselves. And I do that. I do that every year. I've got a booth that is constructed, and I put fresh branches on top of that booth every year. And throughout the feast we eat under that booth, that sukkah in Hebrew. We talk about the Torah under that booth. We discuss the things of Yahweh. And it's Yahweh's feast. And this is what you should be teaching your children instead of all these pagan days. You should be teaching them Yahweh's holy days. It says that they made booths on their rooftops. And we have to remember their roofs back then were flat. They didn't have slanted roofs like we do nowadays. So they made them on their rooftops and their courtyards, out in their yards, the court of the house of Elohim. They're the courtyard there outside of the temple. The square by the water gate and the square by the gate of Ephraim. They had booths everywhere. The whole community that had returned from exile, notice they were in exile, they were in Babylon, made booths and lived in them seven days. The Torah commands seven days you shall dwell in the booths. Leviticus 23, 33 through 36. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. At the end of verse 17, we read that. Now notice, it had been... What, about a thousand years since the time of Joshua, around that time, give or take? Did they say, well, we've not done this for so long, that's outdated, we've not done it for so long, surely it's not that important that we do it? That's what people say now. I tell them, I say, look, we need to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Yahweh says it's a feast for the Israelites and for those strangers that join themselves to Israel They're to keep it. Oh, but the Christian church hasn't done that for so long. Listen, who cares what kind of false traditions have came into the Christian church? Wipe those away and bring back the true worship of spirit and truth into the congregations of Yahweh worldwide. The Apostolic Assembly did not celebrate Christmas. The Apostolic Assembly did not celebrate Easter, Halloween, Valentine's. They didn't celebrate any of the American holidays. If you wanted to get technical... Now, some of them do not stem from paganism, but these were not the commanded days of Yahweh. They celebrated the commanded feasts of Yahweh, one of which was Chag Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. That was what they were excited about. They celebrated it here in Nehemiah, and they celebrated the feast all throughout the book of Acts. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the second of the three major feasts, Shavuot, or in Greek, Pentecost. It's beautiful. These days were celebrated by the Apostolic Assembly then, and they should still be celebrated by us now. We should not try to learn the ways of the heathen and celebrate times and days that stem from heathenism and have just been baptized by Roman Catholicism. The birth of Christ, the holy, righteous birth of the Messiah, has been amalgamated into the unholy celebration of Saturnalia, what we now call Christmas, but originally in the Roman time it was called Saturnalia, which was a feast in honor of the agricultural deity Saturn and also of Mithra, and it goes back even to ancient Babylon. Shouldn't be celebrating those days, brothers and sisters. You need to get rid of them. You really do. And I speak it in love, but you need to get rid of those days and celebrate Yahweh's appointed times. Even though we've not done it for a long time in the Christian church, it doesn't matter. They had not done it since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, Nehemiah eight seventeen. But when they found it written, they obeyed. And when we find it written, we need to obey. And you need to build a sukkah. Now, if you've not built a sukkah this year, it's too late. The feast is over with. It'll be a whole other year before you get to obey that commandment. But you can start making plans right now. You can start making plans now because in about four to five months, around that time, We're going to have another feast come up in the springtime called Pesach or Passover and the feast of Matzah, the feast of unleavened bread. We're going to have that feast come up and you can make plans to start keeping that now with your children, diligently teaching your children Yahweh's holy days. Let's finish this out. Nehemiah 8.18 Ezra read out of the book of the law of the mighty one every day. From the first day to the last day, the Israelites celebrated the feast for seven days and on the eighth day, They they would be the 22nd day of the month because the feast began on the 15th day of the month. There was an assembly according to the ordinance or according to the commandment. Brothers and sisters, the feasts should still be kept. If you're wondering about the feasts, if you're wondering about Yahweh's calendar, I'd be glad to send you some free and postpaid information. Just listen to the contact information at the end of this broadcast and I'll send you some free literature on the subject of Yahweh's calendar so that you can begin to understand how important it is to celebrate His feasts. I love you with the love of Almighty Yahweh and I pray that Yahweh would open your heart and your mind to see the truths about His appointed times. Yahweh bless you. Shalom. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org That's ministersnewcovenant.org Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.